What's up, witches? Oh, sorry, oh, I blew you that totally one. Totally left me hanging. Sorry. There. No, it was all my fault. It's okay. Do you try it again? No, it's okay. <laughs> we can just keep going. <laughs> Hi, witches. This is the um, back from the dead firelight, back from the ether of of not podcasting land. Which is I'm the- not. I'm still. I'm still dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm you're still, doing this I'm, show. You're not dead. Well, I'm doing this show. There you go. I haven't done my show in a very, very long time because I've been so busy. I would be your taller host, Firelight. It's good to good. You to call know. me short? Thanks. Shorter. You're the shorter host. I mean, you're you're. I mean, you, admittedly, you're. You know, we could fit entire people between us. <laughs> because <laughs> apparently what? now you're a dwarf. This is. Oh wow! Yeah. This is going to be one of those shows. Okay. Welcome Aren't to the we- first Monday of Mercury Retrograde, everyone. <laughs> oh, is that? The- oh, so whose bright idea was it to record today then? Well, okay. It's either that or we don't do another show for another couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, this is going to be interesting. How are you, witches? I hope that you're doing well. How are the kids? How's the dog? <laughs> Oh, good to hear. Excellent. Wonderful. <laughs> wow. Wow. Really? It's been a while. It's been a while it's, since we've It has this. been a while. It's been it a has while. been a while. I've got a I've got I've got some cobweb I've got some rust. I'm trying to crank out of the gears here. <laughs> it's not going. Yeah, well. and it's painful watching it come out, let me tell you. How have you been, Velma dear? I've been very good very good. Good, good. Yeah. How's your knitting going? Um currently just fine. Good. I'm so glad yes. to hear that. I yes. was worried well, there see, for a while. Okay, so I went to this is uh, see you shouldn't ask me things like that because then I can make a long story out of it. Mm. As you may know, mm. I I can make long stories. So anyway, my mom and I went to California and had a glorious time and did lots of wonderful things and it was it was wonderful, but we went to this little knitting shop in Carmel and I found this fabulous yarn that is lovely and fat. And is all of the different blues and greens of the ocean. Aw, petty. But it was but it was expensive. And so I only bought one of them, which means I only have like a hundred yards of it, which to those of you who don't know knitting may seem like a lot. Guess what? It's not. It's very, very little. It's it, you can make something relatively small out of that much yarn. So I have been messing with this stupid yarn for weeks now, ever since I got back from my trip, trying to figure out what to do with it. And I finally found something that I like. And so I'm working on it and I'm almost actually done. Is this the scarf you were showing? It is a, it is a scarf. It is a relatively narrow scarf, but I should have enough yarn to make it nice and long so I can wear it in the fall and it will be lovely and pretty. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm, I yeah. was refraining from making a dirty joke, something about the long scarf. I don't know where it was going. And then I realized it was about a scarf and that wasn't going to be funny. Yeah. No, not no, so much. Not really. No. 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 Don't don't go for the blue humor. It doesn't suit you. Yeah, I know. I'm really bad at it, too. That You're very all, bad at it, which is... Toy. Yeah. I, I don't encourage that. So yeah, how are you? Um, you know, I'm doing well. I've, uh, I've taken, you know, I'm, I, I took a little podcation, uh, the last month or so. Um, I took a, a, a little mini vacation from being firelight in the month of June. And honestly, it was really good for me. I did uh, a lot of painting. I actually took a vacation. I went to uh, see my family in Texas and I'm going to throw a highlighter at my cat now. 
Hey. That was fun. I didn't Jillian, know. see, it's not just me. <laughs> I threw it at the wall. She's just, she's decided today of all days that the altar is now her place of playthings, And she's never done this before. She's not decided, hey. I've... Well, not when you've been there. Uh, but, yeah, it's not so... her fault you're home watching. <laughs> Maybe this is her daily thing. Um, no. So, uh, no, I actually took a vacation to, uh, to see my family in Texas, which was really good. You know, I was, I was getting to a point where, you know, I just needed a recharge and sometimes going home can, can be a really good way to recharge those batteries and to get back to a sense of self. Um, you know, I, I did some poetry, I wrote some short stories. I, you know, just really got back to, to the things that, um, fill my cup up, you know, fill my personal cup. And, uh, <laughs> You're laughing at me. <laughs> it was just the way you said that. It was just, it was cute. Thank Please you. continue. I try to be adorable on a daily basis. You know what fills my cup up? What fills your cup up? <laughs> when I went to California, uh-huh. I rode the teacups at Disneyland <laughs> with Peter Patton. <laughs> with Peter Patton. I'm sorry. Did you go, did anybody... you go, did you go ride the teacups with Peter Patton? I did. Did and you? I hadn't I heard did. that you'd ridden the teacups with Peter Patton. And if you had told me two or three years ago, someday you will ride the teacups at Disneyland with Peter Patton, I would have called you a big fat liar. But I did. And it was so fun. Is that just the highlight of your pod career? Well, I don't know if it was the highlight of my pod career, but it was certainly the highlight of the trip for me. Oh, no, there was lots the, of there was lots of fun stuff, but that was like I'll, I will remember that forever. Aw, I will remember that forever. That's precious. Yes, it was so much Aww. fun. Um, you know, speaking of uh, big name pagan folks like Peter Patton, um, you know, I, I just don't think that we can uh, go much further. Um, I do just want to mention the passing of David Grega. Uh, he he passed away recently, um, I, I believe, of a heart attack. Uh, he was very young, I believe. Is, he was in his early mid-30s, um, which is very young to be, to, to die from um, some sort of heart-related illness. Um, yes. So, you know, I, I did just want to take a, a minute to pause and, and to say his name and to mention him. Um, he's done a lot of things for the podcasting community. Um, you know, it, it, in this kind of community, it's it's difficult to say, you know, did you know him well? Did you not know him well? I mean, you know, very few of us actually met the guy, <laughs> but, um, you know, talked to him a lot uh, on the Internet and, um, you know, listened to his show. We didn't always agree. That was something that I, I uh, talked about on, on my blog. You know, he and I didn't always agree, you know, and I, I wouldn't whitewash the past and say, oh, Dave and I were good buddies because we weren't. But, um, you know, he did do a lot for the the modern pagan community and to get us to uh, move forward. He headed up the um, Pagan-Centered Podcast, uh, which in and of itself, uh, you know, I can respect for how it's taken on some tough issues and some uh, some uh, interesting big-name pagans in and of themselves and, uh, you know, really turned them on their heads. Again, I didn't always agree, but uh, it was good that he was out there doing that. Um, also, the uh, Proud Pagan Podcasters, he was a big part of that and uh, helped that organization to flourish and to become what it's become today. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just, um, uh, I, I think it's sad, uh, when somebody yeah. like that goes, but, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I'm, I'm sure it, he will be missed. Although he had kind of stepped down from, yeah. 
a lot of things prior to yeah he stepped this. down from proud pagan podcasters for a number of reasons and again you know yeah. it, now is not the time to to whitewash a history uh and and make something you know happier and brighter than it than it was but you know the guy was of great import to those of us that uh you know do a lot of our pagan networking a lot of our um you know religious scholarship online uh, yeah. you know and and he helped to create some of those networks um, you know, and there are a lot of podcasters out there that might not be podcasting had it not been for his influence, either directly or indirectly. So, uh, yeah. David Griega, you will be missed. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, uh, Velma, in preparing for uh, my recent show, because I actually just uh, finally, finally, finally recorded uh, my episode 71, um, you know, I was going back through because I, I like to keep a list on my phone of, of topics and things that, that really interest me. Um, and that I think would be to, uh, good to share uh, on the air. And when I was going through, I actually scratched out a couple of things, and I said, "Talk with Velma." <laughs> there, <laughs> and I thought, you know, this would be this would be much better to talk with uh, to, with Velma about, rather because you know, honestly, I'll, I would probably end up saying the same thing over and over again. Um, but there were a couple of pastors, and I'm, I'm I, you know, I don't know how often you you watch or read the news, Velma Nightshade. Not um, very often, to be honest. But you you probably still heard about Pastor Sean Harris and Pastor Charles L. Worley. They made news around the same time. And though the names may not be familiar, you probably remember um, that there was a news story recently uh, about um, the pastor that said that you needed to beat the gay out of your children. And there were all of these audio clips online uh, and videos of him saying that, you know, if you see your son acting effeminate, uh, you know, you need to go break that hand. You know, if you see some uh, his his wrist is limp or something like that, you need to break that wrist. Uh, you know, your daughter should be beautiful and they should be, uh, you know, getting good guys and stuff like that. And, and he went on and on and on. Um, and there was another pastor, Pastor Charles L. Worley, who preached a sermon that said that gays and lesbians should be rounded up and killed off. Um, and there was a, a sermon that he'd given in the past that said gays should be hung from an oak tree. And, you know, there was a lot of discussion at the time. Do you remember either of those stories or hearing anything about them? Not really. Um, well, they were all over the mainstream media for about a month in, in April. Um, and, uh, you know, they really got me thinking, you know, what's the difference between... Uh, somebody like that and, you know, somebody that's truly and honestly uh, committing a hate crime. Um, there was a, a kid who recently uh, got convicted of murder because he had uh, put a streaming video of his roommate online, uh, of his roommate who was apparently gay and who had brought a guy back to the dorm um, and he had streamed this video and everybody found out and, and then the killed, uh, the kid killed himself. And this guy is being, uh, convicted of murder for that. And I just kind of wonder what is the difference between, you know, a pastor saying that we should do something like that. You know, a pastor saying that we should break our children's wrists and, uh, that we should, you know, uh, hang people from trees and things like that. Um, and, and a kid doing something stupid and then, a, you know, somebody killing themselves because of it. And, and I, it really all got me thinking about the importance of authority in religion, the importance of, uh, or, or how important authority should be in religion. You know, how important we make pastors, how important we make our big named people. 
And well, um, I don't think our I don't for the most part the big name people in the pagan community are not necessarily the religious leaders. That's interesting. How do you see the big name people in our community as teachers? Uh, who would be some of your big name people? Well, I mean, probably the, a lot of the same people most people would think of as big name pagans. People like um, Dorothy Morrison, Raven Gramasi, uh, Raymond Buckland, Peter Patton. Um, I mean, for the most part, the people in our community that everybody's heard of, thus they are big name, are authors. I mean, there are some, like Selena Fox, for example, who has not done as much writing and has done more um, sort of, you know, championing of causes. But for the most part, our our big names, our little pagan celebrities are not celebrities because they get up and preach to us once a week. They're not there. We don't know them because we become their followers because we believe everything that comes out of their mouth. Now, granted, I'm sure there are some people in the pagan community who just do everything Dorothy Morrison says because she's Dorothy Morrison and that's the way it should be. But we all know how we feel about that. (laughs) Don't point at me. (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. No, no. She has said some things I disagree with. And what's interesting is when you talk to her, she has said some things that she now disagrees with too. (laughs) But, but my point is our, our big name people in our community they they're the teachers they're the ones that we go to get information from for the most part they're not people who we are taken with because of their charisma and their stage presence and therefore we follow them blindly there's there's a bit of a difference i think well we do but we do have some of those people i mean we do still have coven leaders and we do still have group leaders and we do still have you know maybe not on the scale of a dorothy morrison or a scott cunningham or nearly to the same extent but the thing is i mean these pastors i mean pastors in a church are not on the same level of you know oh gosh uh pat robertson or something like that i mean well okay yes and i suppose you could argue okay well look at z budapest she's the one who says every time a man has sex with a woman it's rape well okay she's a big name pagan and i disagree with her but i suppose she has her people who who follow that and who believe that would be an example of a charismatic leader of somebody who is out there i don't know everything i've heard about her is that she's not super charismatic but okay well somebody who who sort of has a cult of personality i mean a a a group of people who follow her because of of what she says and what she teaches and what she believes and how fervently she believes those things and whether or not i mean one would call her charismatic and her personality i think it begs to differ because some of the language that she's used to talk about men specifically gay men um in the last six months or so has been really vitriolic and and you know well, may not see, be on the positive side of charisma but i i don't think that one could not call it charismatic but see i wonder and maybe this is just my own cynicism i wonder how much of her support her her followers for lack of a better word I wonder how much of of their psyche is is genuinely invested in what she's saying 
and how much of their remaining in her presence is to be in her presence. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm wondering how much of it is actually, because you get, you, you hear about these preachers and whatever, and they're not famous until they become controversial, right. but they've already got thousands of people who show up every Sunday and who go, Oh yes, absolutely. That is, that is truly what we believe. And I, I wonder how much of it is, her followers actually think the same way she does versus she was already well known. I mean, she's been, she has been a big name pagan since like, I think late sixties, certainly early seventies. So there is already sort of a built in celebrity about her. And like I said, maybe it's my own cynicism, but there's a part of me that goes, okay, but are you hanging around because you actually believe the crap that's coming out of her mouth or because wherever she goes, people adore her and therefore you know her so people adore you? You know what I mean? Well, you know, and... It's like, would you be would you be friends with you know Julia Roberts if she came to your door yes. because you because you actually have <laughs> things? No, let me finish my sentence. Would you be <laughs> friends with her because you actually have things in common and can have interesting discussions, or are you being friends with her because she's Julia Roberts? You see uh, what I'm saying? I There's would be friends with her if she would let me braid her hair and watch Pretty Woman on repeat. That. And then See, you know, and like that's we creepy. go out for hot dogs and stuff. That's creepy. I don't think you're going to get in with her have very I well. Have I ever told you that I have repeated dreams where I'm friends with the Obamas and Oprah? Have I told you this? No, you haven't. Well, just between you and me and nobody else. Because yeah, because there's nobody else listening. No. Okay. I actually have a, a uh, repeated dream in which, a uh, recurring dream in which I am, I am very, very good friends with... Um, Brock and Michelle and and Oprah. And did you have these dreams before Obama became president? No. No, I didn't. Well, I mean, I had dreams where I was friends with Oprah. Well, yeah, but Oprah's been famous since before you were born. So... Right? Actually, like, the year I was born is when she started. (laughs) Yes. So my point is, I don't think that's, you know... I mean, yes, she seems like a nice person. Don't get me wrong. She seems like, you know, a very nice person who one could have very interesting conversations with. But I don't think that would be the prime motivating factor to being friends with her. But And I just, and I just wonder, <laughs> you know... Um, no, 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 no. But, uh, but a little bit serious now. Um, you know, what? what is the... What is the motivating factor for people to to put a teacher or a a preacher or a spiritual leader or something like that? I mean, why do you think that groups? I mean, take away the religion. I mean, take away the name of the religion, whether or not it's Wicca, whether or not it's uh, Christianity. Buddhism certainly has its its big leaders. I mean, Hinduism definitely has its big leaders. I mean, the big ones they have their big leaders. Um, you know, so take away the religion. What is the purpose of not just a teacher, because I can, I, I can easily see the need for a teacher, for somebody to learn and that kind of thing, but the kind of leader that can be, you know, that, that is this charismatic leader. You know, why do you think that people crave those people? Why do you think that people flock to those people? 
I don't know that. Well, okay. And I, I'm trying to take this out of any religious context. I don't think. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to articulate this badly. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. That's okay. I've articulated like at least 17 <laughs> things very poorly in the last 20 minutes. So I'm go just, right on okay. ahead. I, I know where I'm going. I'm just not sure how I'm going to get there. So just just go with me on All this. Right, okay. okay. Cut my walking stick. Okay. So there are two basic kinds of people in the world, right? Uh huh. There are the leaders, and there are the followers. That's two. That's two right there. We're, okay. We're doing good so far. So what you're asking, I think, is why do the followers follow? Well, not necessarily because I think that. that I why think do the why do the leaders become, I mean, because not all leaders turn into these kind of crazed, charismatic But I think if you looked at it from a psychological perspective, most people who are considered to be truly successful leaders, regardless of their politics, regardless of their views, defining a successful leader as someone who is able to motivate and move a large number of people, I think there are probably psychological components that they all share. Yeah. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe in differing levels, but charisma is certainly in there. I mean, there are, think, go, think about high school, okay? Think about the person who was elected student body president. Oh, were God. they the smartest person in the no. school? Probably no. not. <laughs> were, they, were they the most attractive person in the school? Maybe. Were they able to get out there and, you know, be the cheerleader? Not necessarily, literally, but to, you know, to go out and get people to vote for them one way or another through charisma or charm or bribery or whatever the case may be. Yes. So that's how you become a leader mm-hmm. of a large group. I mean, you, you sort of have to have those characteristics, which I think is why... Our community's leaders actually are are a little bit different because we don't have the same type of leadership that other religious paths have. We well, don't have a pope in Rome. We I, don't I have say, a Dalai Lama. As, as far as our, um, you know, just to go back to something that you were saying, I mean, yes, we have our Z Budapest and, you know, uh, we've got folks like Christian Day who are very charismatic and dividing and they have their followers and we've got, you know, but we've got Silver Ravenwolf who does have followers, who does have a coven of her own, um, you know, and is sort of divisive in, in what she's said publicly and things like that. You know, we do have our... Uh, leaders, but for the most part, you know, to to your point, I don't see a lot of people wanting to take on the mantle of leader. You know, well, we, we, okay, because Would you know, our, to, to contrast okay, no, it to no. some of the pastors that we were talking about, um, you know. Those folks would say, you know, I am the leader of this, you know, they would use the biblical terminology, you know, I'm the shepherd of this flock, you know, I lead these people, I guide their spiritual path, and they seem to be a little bit more willing to take on that role. Okay, but think about the pagan community. Who is going to stand up and say, yes, I am part of this person's flock? (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, I very think a few, lot of very people, few say, people I, no, very few people person. in the pagan community are going to give up their individual persona enough to say, this person is my leader. There are some people, and if you're in a coven, there is a certain degree of, okay, well, this person is the high priest or the high priestess or whatever. But I also think that even if you're in that situation, 
because of the nature of our religion, if you can even call it that, the nature of the pagan spiritual experience <laughs> and and the nature of what people, generally speaking, go through to get there, I think we have a group of people who are possibly more headstrong mm-hmm. and a little bit more willing to be independent even when it is unpopular than a lot of the more mainstream religions. I don't know. I think we would like to think that about ourselves, but at the end of the day, I think we're all still very human. We're, we're all still human, and I think that there are still going to be those people, and I think that you know, in our time, knowing one another even, just in the last couple of years, we have seen enough events happen, you know, enough kind of controversial events happen that we've seen those people who are devoted to a particular cult of personality, uh, you know, come out and, and seem to be kind of, you know, very zombie-like in in their devotion to a particular person or, or idea. But what's interesting to me is, and you brought up Christian day and it's a good example. So I'll go with that. But Z Budapest could also be a good example in the pagan community. When you have these so-called leaders making outlandish, ridiculous, controversial statements, there are other people within the same community who go, uh-uh, I don't think so. And you're not seeing, or at least I have not witnessed, now granted I was kind of head in the sand about this whole situation, so correct me if I'm wrong, where were the huge numbers of Christians publicly saying this is not what Christianity is about? Well, they they were definitely there. I mean, I, like you said, you know, you weren't really following these particular news stories, but, but they within, they were definitely there. But um, it was more their but the, own the denomination. Um, well, that was the thing is that their their church and their particular community. I would go and I was watching news investigative news reports, and when they talked to Christians. You know, in other states, uh, you know, around the world, you know, bigger Christian leaders, um, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it was it was interesting how those folks were like, oh, no, that's terrible. How dare they say that? We love our brothers and sisters. We may not agree, but blah, 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 blah. But you talk to people inside that community and it was a totally different thing. It, you know, one guy was even like, that's my pastor you're talking about. You don't, you know, you don't come in here and say that he's wrong and blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it, it was definitely, you know, that term, that cult of personality. It's these people that are devoted to this particular person and their particular ideas. Because, you know, in these communities, you know, this one guy has been able to really influence, um, you know, the people, uh, the 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 that that go to that church the people that are related to the people that go to that church you know that particular community and so they've all kind of gathered that information you know i think in the greater community there are those people that that say you know no that's bad but i think that you're onto something with saying that the people in in their in that immediate vicinity as it were i think those people definitely you know are a little bit more of the same mindset i don't know i think <sighs> I mean, I I can see where there is value in comparing the pagan community to, for example, the Christian community. But at the same time, it's really it's really comparing apples to oranges. Sometimes. Because, Sometimes. Well, I, no, I think most of the time because the pagan community is very splintered. It has never 
at least to the best knowledge anyone has, had any kind of set hierarchy of leadership. It has never existed same way that the other mainstream religions have. It, well, it never has. It has completely been based on individual experience and then individuals of like mind coming together to create their own groups. I don't know. I mean, what, what about Gardner and his followers and, and Valiente and, and, you know, that, and you that could, was definitely, there was a hierarchy there and there's definitely a history there. There are people that go back and listen to some of the things that Gardner said, you know, some okay, of the things he but see, about- but see, in my mind, Gardner would be equivalent to, for example, Silver Ravenwolf. Okay. She has her coven that I believe has hived and has little mini covens in various places. She, she has her specific tradition that she has done that she has put together and she has the people who believe as she does. That doesn't mean the entire community believes as she does. And within the entire community, there is no set boss, chieftain. There, there is no well, one no, person. But, I mean, the thing is, and you know, a lot of people also, like to say, well, yeah, I mean, like you even made the comment earlier, we don't have a pope. Well, neither does the Protestant Christian community. Okay, maybe the better example is we don't have a Bible. We don't have one That's text true. that we work off of. That's true. We work off of all our own stuff that we get from wherever it is that we get it. The internet. And, <laughs> well... Okay, so for some people, it's from the internet. From some people, it's from books. From some people, it's from just going out and standing in a field for three years. And from some people, they're getting it from Silver Ravenwolf. I don't think any of those things are bad, but we're not all getting our information from the same source. Misinterpreting it to our own whims aside, there is no central point in paganism. When does it become, when does a leader regardless of religion, when we as followers of a a particular leader, you know, we as, you know, folks that read Dorothy Morrison books or something like that. And we typically, for the most part, tend to agree more often than not with most of the stuff that she writes in her books and, and whatnot, just for example. When does, you know, a leader cross the line from being, you know, a charismatic leader or being an opinionated leader, you know, somebody who says, you know, well, I really think that we should not be doing these things and we should be doing these things, which honestly, I, I personally think is, is part of the role of being a teacher and is part of the role of being a leader, especially in a spiritual community. Um, you know, that, that's one of the things is, is you say, you know, I think this is a good thing to do. I think this is a bad thing to do and so on. But when does it, Air onto the side of not okay anymore. See, and I totally disagree with you. I don't think the point of being a good teacher is to say this is true and this is false. That's that's how to be a leader. How to be a teacher is to say, what do you think? And to encourage the student to find the answer, not to just give the student the answer. And I think that's the difference. I think for the most part... The leaders in our community present material as they see it, and the good ones encourage the people who read their material or who listen to them speak or whatever 
to think about what they've said and whether or not they agree or disagree. And if they disagree, why do they disagree? But more importantly, if you agree with me, why do you agree with me? What is it about your experience that makes you agree with what I've said. That's how to be a teacher. Anybody can get up in front of a group of people or write a book and say A is A and B is B and that's all there is to it. I think that's the difference. And there are people out there who have written books like that. I'm not going to disagree with that. There are definitely bad teachers, but I think there's a difference there. Well, but... You know, shouldn't a teacher, I mean, if you're just getting it wrong, I mean, you know, you can say, well, what do you think two plus two should be all day long? But at the end of the day, the teacher finally has to get to the kid to the point where he's like, okay, it's four. Yes. (laughs) It's four. But there's a difference between teaching arithmetic and teaching a spiritual idea and how to have a spiritual connection with the divine as whoever it is sees it. Well, I mean, there, it, I mean you but can't... There is still there is still teaching of information and there is still teaching of history and there is still you know there is still teaching of of not quite quantifiable but definitely empirical data. I mean there's still teaching of okay this is how things are and this is how things uh you know th- this is the information. As far as okay, the but, you yes. finding your path and you finding you know your connection with the divine and and this you know the very esoteric parts of of that, you know, that that's that. But as far as the But is it wait 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 wait. wait. Isn't practice? that what we're talking about? Well, we're Isn't that what we're talking? Leaders, we're talking so. about a preacher getting up in front of his people and saying being gay is bad. Okay, well, is that empirically provable? Or is that an opinion that his followers should question for themselves, see where they can find evidence of that in the Bible, and decide whether or not they agree with him on their own, instead of just saying, oh, well, it came out of his mouth, so it must be true. Well, and that's, that's what I was asking originally, is when does a leader, when does a teacher, you know, and, and sometimes those are synonymous and sometimes those are not, but when does a, a leader, and that's what we're really talking about, these these big name pagans for us, you know, that's what the pagan community kind of talks about big name pagans. Um, but you know, when does a leader, a community leader go over the edge? You know, when is it not okay anymore? And yes, I mean, I think it's really easy to say, well, when you're talking about stringing people up on an oak tree, yes, that's not good. But you know, what is the point at which you say, whoa, 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 you know, I think that, that this leader that I've built up on this pedestal isn't so hot. You know, I, I don't think that that's okay. And and are you know, were you suggesting that you just question everything that the leader says? I think, well, pers- for me personally, mm-hmm. yes, I would question everything, and I would decide on each thing for myself. But that's me. I think when it becomes dangerous is not when people believe everything that the leader says. I think the point at which it becomes dangerous is the point at which the leader expects everybody to believe what they say simply because they are saying it. Because you are entitled to say anything you want, no matter how horrible, reprehensible, resentful it is, you are entitled in this country to say anything. You do not have the right to expect me to believe you. 
I, and you, that's you really, for you me, really just sort of flipped this on its head for me. Um, you, you really, well, you really, me, that's, that's where, that's where the danger lies. You really and gave there's me a, a good aha moment here. Um, well, there's a different danger for the person listening. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's when the leader starts to become corrupt is when they expect everybody to believe whatever they say. Mm-hmm. The danger for the person listening is when they start believing everything without questioning it for me. That's that's the point at which you need to go, okay, hold on. Do I actually believe this or do I just believe it because this person said it? Now, so I there's two say, different I, there's I, two different problems. Now I think that I mean I think that possibly you know, it's really, really hard to tell somebody who is new to a path, new to a religion, um, be it paganism, be it really any religion, honestly. Uh anytime you're learning anything, really, it's it's really hard for a new person to figure out if they have a bad teacher or not, or is it? I mean, is are there universally bad leader examples? You know, are there universally? You know, have has there been anything that you've been able to identify in your experience on, uh, you know, in your personal spiritual experience over the years? As these are kind of universally identifiable signs of this is not a this is not a good leader. This is not a good teacher. Turn and run and go away. Yes. And those are? <laughs> um, well, there's really only one that I can think of right off the top of my head. Um, if you question a teacher and they either get defensive or tell you, because that's just the way it is, shut up and like it, mm-hmm. that's a bad teacher. And it may not be that the information they're giving you is wrong. But, but they, they just don't like the question. They obviously don't know how to teach because oh. that's the whole point of teaching is to help people understand. It's not just to have people regurgitate, you know, dates and names from history. The important thing about teaching is to give someone not just the knowledge, but the understanding of the subject matter. And if you ask a teacher to explain something because you don't understand it, their job as a teacher is to help you understand it, not to just shut you down and tell you you're an idiot because you don't get it because that's the way it is. It was printed in this book that way, so that's how it is. Mm -hmm. That's a bad teacher. And I would say that's a bad leader, but there are plenty of religious leaders who have said, well, that's what the Bible says, shut up and like it. And, you know, I that... Yeah, that bothers me. And and honestly, I you know, I can hear me out. <laughs> hear me oh, out. I'm don't, not going to like this. Don't jump on it yet. <laughs> I sympathize. Keyword here. I don't agree, but I can sympathize with the idea of wanting to just say this is how the book is, you know, or this is how it is. This is this is the information. Can we just get over this hump so that we can move on to the bigger fish? And I I can sympathize with wanting to just say, here are the book, or here are the rules, or here's the formula, or, you know, here is how you cast a circle, and this is it. Can we just move on from this, please? I sympathize with it, but I definitely get what you're saying about that's not necessarily a good teacher. I mean, I can understand the frustration of the person's just not getting it or the person's just, they're wanting to just ask way too many questions that eventually just have nothing to do with the subject matter. And, you know, uh, overly questioning of, of every bit of minutia there could be. And I, and I get that frustration, but again, I think that you're right. I think it takes a special kind of person to be a good teacher though. I think we would both mm-hmm. acknowledge that 
just because it takes a special kind of person to be a good teacher doesn't mean that there aren't bad teachers out there. That oh, there are a, a lot of bad a teachers. Pretty good living off of being bad teachers. There are a ton of bad teachers yeah. in the world, both in the context of our discussion and just out in the world in general. There are a lot of bad teachers because. I mean, think about it from the perspective of being a parent, okay? And I'm not trying to accuse anybody of being a bad parent, and I'm not saying that you can't, you know, be stressed out and tired and Except just maybe wanting maybe to rip your I hair. I threw a highlighter at my cat and shoved my well, yes. in the box. Yeah, but I yell at my cat too, so, you know, it's not a, and I escort him with water and, you know, he gets in trouble, you know. But anyway, but no. Set him on fire. Okay, I have never... <laughs> Don't even go there. Every time he has become Kitty Flambe, it has been of his own doing, and I have not been able to stop him. I've seen you chase Wolfgang around with that lighter. I know what you do. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Think about when you have a kid who is three or four, whatever, um, and they discover the question, why? Oh, God. Why is this this way? Why is that that way? Why is this? Why is that? Why, 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 why? Okay, so do you always just answer the child with because? Because. Because I said so. That's just how it is. Or do you at least on occasion, with subject matter that is age appropriate at least, try to explain to the child why whatever it is? If you are just immediately shutting down the child's questioning... I would say that is not exhibiting being a good teacher to that child. I'm not saying that every single time the child says why, you have to give them, you know, an encyclopedic answer of why the sky is blue or why the grass is green or why grandpa died or why, you know, I'm not saying that. But there needs to be some acknowledgement that the question was asked. And if it's not, like you said, if it's not subject matter that, they're ready for, or that you're, you know, you're not, you're not at that point yet. You still need to acknowledge that they've asked the question and the, and that you've recognized that they've asked the question and you're going to answer it, but this is not the moment. That's to, to me, that's the difference. I mean, I, I, de- I mean, I yes. get what you're saying about people just asking questions for the sake of asking questions because they're trying to be annoying. I get that. But at the same time, you wanted to be a teacher. Guess what? <laughs> so that's part of the teacher. You brought the children the into this world, so it's your that's job to answer the wise. That's yeah, I get one that. of the and things. I, and I, like with. I said, I, I, I think I, because you know me, I always try to see all the different sides of things, much to much to my uh, demise on on many topics on many occasions. You know, and and I really greatly want to sympathize with the overly stressed teacher that's just like, okay, listen, it's this. Can we just move on? I mean, I, I definitely get that. Um, I get it too. But but who do you remember more from your scholarly experiences in school? Do you remember the sit down and shut up teacher? Or do you remember the teacher who was trying to be engaging and who would answer your questions and who would try to explain things in a different way if you didn't understand it? Which one made a bigger impact on you? No, you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Um, you know, what happens though, you know, is there anything that we could tell people that are already in that, you know, the water is up to their eye level and, you know, they've already gotten in to that cult of personality, you know, they've already gotten in. Is there anything that you could tell somebody? Is there any advice that we would give, 
uh, to somebody, you know, for how to maybe start recognizing that, hey, you're in a cult of personality, you know, you're, 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 you're not questioning things. You're not, you know, that kind of thing. Is there, is there any way to identify, um, once you've already gotten in too deep or, or is there a, a point at which it becomes too late and you just need to move on and try to fix somebody else or try to wake up somebody else? The only person you're responsible for is yourself. Mm-hmm. So if you can recognize that you are in a bad situation, you have a choice. You can stay in a bad situation and either it will get better on its own or it will get worse. Or you can get out of the bad situation. It's your choice. Neither one of them may be easy. Neither one of them may be, you know, the ideal situation. But you are responsible for you. If you know you have a bad teacher, if you know that the group that you're with is does not have the best interests of everybody at heart and does things that you don't agree with. If you identify those things, it's on you. It's, it's your responsibility to make a choice. It's a hard choice, but you are responsible for you. Exactly. You only you, that is your job when it comes to your spiritual path. I think that possibly my biggest advice would be don't refuse a breath mint, um, to, to, Hold on. <laughs> what? My mother always said, don't refuse a breath mint. Um, you know, because you just never know what somebody's trying. Somebody might be just be trying to not be nice. Somebody might be trying to tell you, hey, you are not aware of your bad breath situation. And, you know, I think the same can apply to, you know, the folks that are in that cult of personality that are in that you know, that group, um, you know, of people that are just sort of becoming blind followers to a particular person, individual strain of thought, that kind of thing. And what I would say to those people is that, you know, if you have a family member or a friend or something like that, who is looking at you and saying, you know, or giving the, uh, advice equivalent of, Hey, here's a breath mint, you know, would you like a breath mint? Wake up, pay attention. You know, if somebody's coming to you and saying, Hey, are you really sure that, you know, you should be going to a pastor who's telling people to string people up on trees? I mean, I get that you think that homosexuality is a sin and all of that, but really, do you hear what this guy's saying? And I think okay. that possibly you should just adopt the idea of being willing to take a step back and examine if somebody is coming to you and saying, hey, I mean, if you want to keep going, this that's that's your business, but... I don't know. I don't know. Based on the number of people that I either know or have heard about within the pagan community who have had very concerned Christian relatives come to them and say, hey, you know, we just really are concerned that you're getting involved in all of this Wiccan devil worship and all of this. And and we really need you to, you know, stop and, and you know, make sure that you take a good look at this because... It, you know, this is really going to be a bad thing in the long run. You're going to, you're going to wind up in hell if you keep doing this. And we just well, really don't that want that, that to happen. I think, I think it depends on, becomes, it depends on who it's coming from. I think the onus then comes on us to have a little bit more of an intelligent conversation with those concerned friends and family members. I mean, again, I think that you just need to be open to the conversation. I mean, I think if somebody's coming to you and saying, you know, uh, Diego, I, I <laughs> <laughs> you've really gotten in with this, this Wiccan crowd. And I see that you've got that little star around your neck and I know you're not Jewish and 
you know, I'm really concerned because I'd like to see you in heaven and blah, 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 blah. You know, I think it's up to Diego to say, you know, hey, I, I appreciate your, con- your concern. Here are my beliefs. Here's what I, I truly believe. You know, I'm not worshiping the devil and blah, 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 blah. You know, to ha- be open to the conversation because I think that it can be scary for those people, those concerned friends and family to come to you and say, you know, listen, I- I'm just really concerned about this. And then for you to just blow it off, you know, that, that can be scary for them. That can be scary for them to wonder what's going on with you. Are you really okay? Are you also doing drugs? Are you, you know, what else is going horribly wrong in your life? But if they hear a poised and, uh, an educated, um, response from you and that you're open to dialogue, that you're open to communication, they'll realize that, you know, nothing is, is wrong with you. Again, I think be open <laughs> think to the conversation. a lot more credit than they deserve. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe it's just me, but I think, I, I think you're kind of completely wrong about a lot of people. <laughs> Um, well, you know, and, and I'm sure I, I, I'm, I am not depicting everybody, um, here, you know, and there are still going to be people that are like, okay, I get that you're wanting to talk to me about this, but no, you really are worshiping the devil. And, and it's going to be at that point when you realize the conversation isn't going anywhere and you just need to thank them for their concern and move on and hope that, you know, uh, if they are somebody that you want to keep in your life, that you can still keep them in your life. But if, if it's just not going to happen, then you need to be okay with that not happening. But as far as... I don't know, because as... I think it's a very fine line. I mean, I think if you're just starting out in the, in the pagan community and you, you know, meet somebody who you think is, you know, great and you don't really know anybody else in the community and they start teaching you and they're teaching you complete crap and you know, your family comes to you and asks you questions or is very accusatory or is, you know, very mad about the situation and you don't have yet the information to have an intellectual discussion, you may just decide, you know what, I think this is, this is, you're, you're absolutely right, Christian family, I need to go back to Christianity because this one teacher was crap. So I think the key for anybody when you are in a situation where you are letting someone teach you, whether that's by reading a book or listening to a podcast or, you know, actually going to somebody's house or meeting at a coffee shop and, and having somebody teach you, I, th- I am very big on the idea of having an internal filter and and questioning things and you know when somebody says something or you read something in a book and it doesn't quite sit well with you you know make a mental note or flag it or write it down and think about it when you can be more focused to me that is the only way to truly have a really deeply spiritual experience is when you have a deep understanding of what your spirituality entails you know, I think that there are some pretty universal red flags for teachers. You know, if they're telling you to do bodily harm to yourself or others, get out. You know, that is a red flag. Um, I think if they are are uh, preaching any kind of hate speech, um, I think that that should be a red flag for you. Uh, I think a spiritual teacher especially should be preaching tolerance, should be preaching, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, that They should not be te- uh, teaching you how other people are bad. 
um, you know, they should just be sticking to to their particular beliefs and their particular religion and, and teaching you, you know, the basics, the fundamentals so that you can find out uh, about it on your own. Um, you know, and, and I, I do get concerned when we start putting institutions up, um, you know, when, when we start making people into institutions, uh, because, you know, it, it really... It is important, I think, for us to have leaders. It is important for us to have places to go um, as as far as, you know, places of learning, places of, of, of spiritual growth. And those can be people, um, but those can also be places. Um, you know, we I, I think we do uh, also, you know, not to sidestep or anything, but I think that we are also, you know, neglecting, I think, our metaphysical shops. Um, you know, and our places of going and and being a, a part of a community and things like that. Um, you know, I know that there's a, a metaphysical shop close to you that you've uh, been a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, what what has been a big influential part about that particular shop? I mean, what is it about that particular shop that does it for you? <laughs> it's the only one here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I like I like the shop that's in Omaha. I worked there for several years. Um, and one of the things that I liked about it then, um, it's become less useful as I have gotten older and more experienced myself. But the staff there has always been very willing to answer questions and to explain things and to help, you know, if you go into the store and say, well, this is my situation and I don't really know what to do about it. They give good advice. And I mean, yeah, they're also going to sell you stuff, but they're not going to necessarily, you know, try to sell you something that's not going to correspond with what it is that you're shooting for in the long run. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, there seems to be a genuine interest in helping people not only with their personal situations that they come into the store to get supplies to fix, but also with understanding the way magic works and, and why, you know, why the green candle instead of the red candle and why, you know, they're, they're good at at taking time and working with their customers so that there is an understanding there. I remember at one point when I was working there, I sat in one of the rows of book stacks for like an hour with this girl. And she just kept asking me questions and I kept just answering questions and explaining things. And I mean, I, I really think that she was genuinely seeking information and I didn't just say, Oh, well here, buy this book and this book will tell you everything. I actually sat with her and I said, well, you know, this is what I've learned from my experience. And I, I did recommend books but it wasn't just this is the one book that will solve all of your problems and answer all of your questions. It was this book is going to give you this type of information and this book is going to give you this other type of information. And if it's just a store, where's the value? Because I can buy anything online. That's what I, I was go, about to ask. Is- I can go online and buy anything, just about, that I have ever seen in any metaphysical shop. Uh, almost anything for probably cheaper for probably cheaper. And it would be shipped to my door and I don't have to drive to, you know, Colorado to get it. So what is what I guess, you know, um, what somebody might be saying, uh, who lives two, three hours from the nearest metaphysical shop is what, 
are they getting? What it, what do we think that somebody is getting from going to a brick and mortar store that they can't get online? I mean, because you know, because online these days, I mean, there are message boards. You can ask questions. You well, can spend okay. hours pouring. I'm going to say things. right here and now, I do not recommend message boards. And I know as you're laughing your head off silently <laughs> that you knew I was going to go there. <laughs> But I'm sorry, I do not recommend that. I realize I, there may be very few options if you live out in the middle of nowhere, but I, here now, I do not, mm-mm. nope, sorry. I do not recommend that. You can recommend that all day long. I don't recommend it. I am not going to recommend it. We've actually talked, I, I think, on this show about a few different websites, message boards, and how much we dislike them. I don't know that um, we have actually talked about any specific websites, but oh, but man. pretty much if it's a message board on a pagan website, I'm not going to be, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. Well, but you, there's also uh, Facebook and Twitter where you can get lots of different kinds of opinions pretty quickly. <laughs> lots of different kinds of misinformation <laughs> right there at your fingertips. Well, okay, but what makes somebody on Facebook's information misinformation and what makes somebody in a shop the expert? It doesn't. It doesn't. And that's actually what I was going to say when you were asking, okay, well, what's the, what's the benefit of going to a brick and mortar store? I have been to enough metaphysical stores in my life to honestly be able to say that totally depends on the store. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no, you know, hallmark store of, of metaphysical stores. There is no store where you can consistently say, oh, well, yeah, just go down to your local witch mart and, you know, they will be able to answer your question. You know, Did- when I had a, when I had a question about how to, how to put up a light fixture that I bought, I went to Lowe's because they're the people who know that and I trust what they say. But if I'm trying to figure out how to do, you know, a, a binding spell on an abusive ex-boyfriend, Yes, I'm going to go to the metaphysical store because that's my only option. But depending on the metaphysical store, that may or may not actually be good advice, which makes it difficult for me to say, yes, yes, no matter which store it is, support your local local pagan shop. I have been to some that I would not, I I won't even mention the name of the store because I don't want anybody to know that A, I've been there or B, that it exists. I don't want to add to its... There was one. There was one customers. that we. There was one that we did actually mention by name after the first supermoot uh, here in Chicago, um, Augustine's that I went to, and it was, it was just a terrible experience. I mean, they just really didn't know, or at least the people that I spoke to. I mean, it was it was just bad. And luckily for me, and luckily for those of us that have done this for years and years and years, you get to a point where you can recognize bad information. I mean... But see, okay, one of the arguments that you used, and I realize that this is going to start a debate, and I'm not trying to start a debate, I'm just trying to make a point. One of the examples that you used was that um, somebody, I think it was Corey from New World Witchery, had asked the um, the proprietor how they made a specific type of oil, like Van Van Oil or something. And the guy who worked there was sort of pulling, you know, names of herbs out of thin air and didn't seem to have any idea what he was doing. Okay. So somebody who doesn't know anything goes into the store and says, I need to buy some of this for the purpose of getting bad energy out of my house. Okay. Because I think that's what it's used for. I could be wrong. Don't write in. It's just an example. <laughs> <Corey>. <laughs> it's, 
just an example. Just go with me. So, okay. So I want to get rid of the bad energy in my house. Okay. So you buy this stuff that is not made the way that it's traditionally made, but you don't know that you, you listen to the person at the store and you say, okay, well, this is going to, this is going to solve my problem. And so you take it home and you do whatever, you know, you wash the floor with it or whatever, and you can tell a difference in the energy. Does it matter? Well, then you're talking about what is magic. Well, I mean, that, yes, that gets but back I don't to think, what is But magic. I don't necessarily think that you can get into a discussion of this person doesn't know how to blend oils without also having a discussion of, okay, well, why does the oil work? What, what is it about that specific combination of herbs that makes that metaphysical outcome exist? And if I can get the same metaphysical outcome with a different combination of things, how much of this is psychological? I mean, this is, you know, this is a very big thing with me. I do not say, I never have said, and I never will say that magic is all in your mind. It's not. But there is a component of it that is. Mm. And if you go into a store and they sell you snake oil and you go home and it works, what's the problem? I realize that from an ethical standpoint (laughs) of someone who knows what they're doing, there is an issue. But when does it become fraud? When does it become an objectionable, bad experience? Is it just because you know better? I mean, when you go into a store and you see a gadget and you know, because you're an engineer, that it's not going to work, is that... is? Is that the bad experience? Or if you buy one because you don't know better and you take it home and it works just fine for you. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's hard. What I look for is, is, you know, um, is honesty in, in somebody. If I walk into a store and I ask for Van Van oil to use your example, because I want to get bad energy out of my house, I would rather somebody look at me and say, you know what? I am not specifically familiar with hoodoo enough that I can make a good Van Van oil. However, I can make a good oil that will get something out of your house. And that's what I would look for is upfront and honest and, and that kind of thing. I don't want somebody saying, okay, well you need some rose oil and some dish soap and a couple of thumbtacks and here's your Van Van oil. And it's like, no, <laughs> I mean, I would just rather somebody be upfront and honest uh, with me about things, you know, and, and also uh, as far as don't shops- ever buy a car because <laughs> you will go in and you will say, I want a car that I don't know. I want a car that has that, that works really well in snow and you will drive out in a Corvette. I'm just saying I mean, <laughs> with teeny tiny wheels, itty bitty teeny tiny wheels. Yes. <laughs> with the little donuts on my car. Um, no, as far as shops uh, go um, and what I think makes a good shop um, worker, um, I think I think honesty goes a long way. Um, I think fair prices go a long way. I think being honest about the thing that you are selling somebody goes a really, really, really long way with me. But see, okay, th- but that's kind of a double-edged sword because you can't say, take this black candle home and burn it and your abusive ex-husband will not come back to you. I mean, it, that's no, the problem. You and when you when you buy a lot of these metaphysical items, they will say in little teeny tiny print on the bottom of the back of the label, for sold for novelty use only. Yeah. 
I mean, that's the problem. We're talking about people who are selling things for the purpose of being used in a non-quantifiable way. Mm-hmm. It's not like you take the mixer home and you plug it in and it doesn't work. So would it be better if we had a witch mart? I mean, that, I don't know, that somehow Azure we do. Green... It's just online. It's called Azure Green. That's a, if, if Azure Green and Sacred Source and Llewellyn got together... And one of them said, okay, Ooh, we've God, got what a love child. Ooh, and we, you know, Azure Green said, okay, we've got all the herbs. And Sacred Source says, okay, we've got all the statuary you could ever want. And Llewellyn says, okay, we've got all the books. And we're going to come together and we're going to make Witch Mart. And we're going to train our employees to know our stuff and know it backwards and forwards. Would it be better if we had a more consistent chain of stores that was in your local neighborhood and you could go down to the local witch mart would it be better for consistency's sake um you know would it be better because at least we know what kind of information you're going to get when you go to witch mart or is it better to have the you don't know what you're going to get when you go into the store and you drove three hours to get there and you get somebody that's selling you dish soap instead of van van oil because that's what you specifically asked for well, okay, thanks for giving a very already skewed question. Of course it would be better if we had consistency and we had people with good information and good intentions and people who aren't just trying to make well, a buck because they know that these you know, well, witchy people witch will buy anything. I think Witch Mart would be all about making the buck. I mean, and I think that's the problem that you get with some consistency but because what, you don't but get... But no, what you're talking about... But what you're talking about is people... You said training their employees to know their products, to know where they come from, to know how they work, to know why you should buy this and not that. You're talking about having an informed staff, and there's a difference between having a consistently informed staff that knows their product and having what we have now, which is sometimes you have really informed. Sometimes sometimes you have people who know what they're doing and sometimes you don't. And sometimes you go to a store and you go, wow, these people really know what they're talking about. And you go back two years later and you go, wow, you shouldn't have gotten rid of her because you're horrible. (laughs) I mean, there is no, there is no consistency. And I'm not saying that's entirely a bad thing. One of the things that I really like to do when I go metaphysical shop hopping, which I do frequently and just did all over the southwest of this country, um, is I – everybody carries the Azure Green stuff. Everybody has the Sacred Source stuff. Everybody has books, books you can get on Amazon. It's no big deal. What I look for is the stuff that that store makes. Yeah. What is it, what is it that that store carries that nobody else does? And that's what I look for, and that's the kind of thing that I'm going to get because the other stuff you can get anywhere. But what is it that that store specifically is contributing to the community? And that's the stuff that I'm going to ask them about. And I'm going to want to know, well, what, what went into this soap? What, what, you know, how do you do this? Well, and, and the thing is, um, you know, I, 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 yes, it, it, I, I suppose in the way that I worded that initial question, it made it sound like I would be a little bit more pro witch mart. Um, but uh, you know, uh, my local favorite shop is Witchy Wearables, which you've been to. A lot of the uh, mm-hmm. the pod can have been to, and said wonderful things about the shop because there's it's a, lot a of very cute little really shop. cool, neat things. A lot of different kinds of cool, neat things that you could only get there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas a lot of other stores, you know, they do have the Azure Green, the Sacred Source, and the Llewellyn, you know, collection, and then they've got 
a cool line of candles that only they do or something Mm -hmm. like that. You know, there's, there's not too much different. Um, and that's why I like this, but again, you know, you go, you ask questions and there's some things that they just don't really know a lot about, you know, or, uh, that you can tell the information is just kind of being gleaned from a very little bit of knowledge. And they're trying to make it sound a little bit more knowledgeable than they are. However, then you get to the font of knowledge that is their knowledge about tarot cards or their, that is their knowledge about divination or, you know, the, write books for astral travel or something like that, you know, then you get to, to where they really, really shine. And I don't know, I, I suppose on, uh, obviously I think the best answer is I wish we could have a witch mart that was a little bit of both, you know, <laughs> that had some regional flavor that when you went to this particular witch mart, they also had a really crazy cool line of candles that, that this particular witch mart subsidiary did that nobody else does or something like that. That would be great. Um, you know, but uh, I think the only way that you can truly and this is going to make me sound like a snob and I'm not trying to sound like a snob, but I think, I think the only way that you can truly know how, how good or bad a, a witchy shop is to go to a lot of them. Well, of not them. necessarily just to go to a lot of them. Know your stuff. That's true. Read, read your books. Think about it. You know, figure things out, talk to people. And then if you go into a shop and you feel like, you know, the person who is behind the counter really trying to sell you this big, you know, amethyst geode, because after all, well, everybody needs one of these. This is what everybody uses. You'll know they're full of crap. I mean, you know, that's... This, this, this particular topic was inspired because somebody asked us the straightforward question, you know, what is the role of the metaphysical shop in the modern and I don't think there is one. I think each shop has its own role because some shops are going to be the, you go to it and you pick up your stuff and then you leave. And some shops are going to be the, the host location for classes and readings and information. And some of them are going to be the ones with the really knowledgeable staff where you go to get information. Some of them, like the one here that's in Omaha, there is, there's like two couches in the middle of the store and people will just go there and hang out and talk about stuff and, you know, have a discussion and, and, you know, whatever different stores contribute different things to the community because they are all so different in and of themselves. Do you think that it is important for us to, Again, the the way that I'm going to say this makes it sound like I'm already answering the question. But is is it important because they they aren't doing well as a whole? Metaphysical shops are not doing well as a whole. Is it important yep. for us to save them for the sake of having them another ten years, another twenty years, something like that? You know, um, that's a really hard question to answer because, I, like, literally the stores that I've been to. I would have to answer that question individually for each one because I have been to some stores that I would be perfectly happy to see disappear. Mm-hmm. And then I've been to other stores that I really hope stick around for a long time because they're really good stores. Um, and it all comes down to what are they already contributing to the community? Are they a source of good information? Do they have, you know, good items do they have knowledgeable staff do they contribute to the community do they you know do they offer classes do they you know encourage networking um you know do they have a bulletin board i mean what 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 is that store's contribution now here's where you can marry 
the uh, new technology of the internet and uh, message boards and things like that with the brick-and-mortar locations. There is a website called Yelp.com, and they have an app. And most, pe- most people that have a smartphone have Yelp on their phone. Not me. Um, well, you are just... I am not most people, but we knew that already. backwards <laughs> lady who has lots of cats and is currently knitting. I have two! I have two <laughs> lots of cats! Crazy knitting cat lady you are. Yeah, that's that's me. She brushes her cat. In the and east makes wing yarn. of my home right currently. In the east wing. I'm in the east wing. Of the Velma yes. Casbah. Yes. Um, no, uh, you can actually go to Yelp and you can uh, download the app and, and uh, put it on your phone and go and look for metaphysical shops. And not all of them are going to have reviews, but I know that like Witchy Wearables has people that do reviews and things like that. If you go to a shop, no matter your experience, good, bad, or otherwise rate it on there and at least it can be a place where people can go and start looking for hey you know i had a really good experience i had a really bad experience and if we can get some kind of way of being able to go online and look for reviews not just for websites because most places these days at least have a facebook page you know they, they typically have some kind of online presence um you know and it's not just about looking up who they are and where they are and how long they've been there but um, it would be really, really great if you could go online and get some kind of idea of the experience that you're getting. And then you, you know, could just you just email me. I'll tell you because <laughs> I've probably been there. <laughs> probably just just tweet <laughs> Velma. Yeah, just ask me. Just I'll tell you Velma. what I think. She'll tell you. She'll be like, "Oh, that's Jim's shop. Oh, Jim's great. I love Jim. We made out <laughs> in the back." Uh, yeah, no. You know, you made out with Jim. Uh, actually, I can honestly say I have never made out with anyone named Jim. <laughs> Good, because I have an Uncle Jim, and that would be weird. They have really weird visual. On. Yeah, let's not go there. No. Moving no, on. Let's not go there. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, do we have anything else to say about medical? Well, I mean, well, and there used to be at least some information on Witch Fox, but that's sort of all fallen well, apart. But that was more like the shop owner told you what kinds of... Uh, services yeah, but at least you provide. could kind of get an an idea from the description what i mean if it was a really crappy shop you could kind of tell based on the description that they would give of a very you know, poor spelling poor spelling you know totally wrong grammar um yeah we're open whenever we feel like it i mean you know there are some things that you can kind of tell okay this shop is probably not going to be worth going to but of course, that's sort of fallen apart. I don't know. People keep telling me I need to I need to write a um, a witchy travel guide. That would be good. I would actually. love to be if fun. we if we had that kind of resource. I'm sure. But that see, the problem is they go out of their books so would fast. Publish that. There actually used to be there. There was Jarena Dunwich wrote a book that actually had a couple of different um, not incarnations, but different editions that would be updated called the Wicca Source Book, and it was actually a book listing of shops and magazines and um you know just that sort of basic contact information there's all sorts of stuff in it but the problem of course is that they go out of business so fast by the time the book's been on the shelf for six weeks half the stores in the book are gone that that is um very true you know most small businesses don't last the first year they uh are usually closed um by about three years i think is the the typical average they're about like a marriage (laughs) if you last three to five years you're probably gold or at least you're gold for another 10 or so um but uh it's it's okay pardon me i just discovered i'm gonna run out of yarn before i finish this which just made me really mad sorry are you 
Please continue. I'm just going to have to. I'm just going to have to go backwards for a little while, and I don't really like going backwards. Well, I mean, I don't know. Pray to the knitting gods. Are there knitting fairies around you? Ask the ghost fairies for help. No, I don't need the ghost fairies. There are actually um, deities of handicraft. <laughs> I had somebody on Facebook the other day ask ask if they could come be be a ghost fairy in my house because they were tired of of being an adult or something like that. Can See? I? It's just pretty. like to be a ghost fairy. That's very pretty. Yes, it's you have a pretty. very pretty scarf. And it looks like the ocean and it's alpaca, so it's very soft. That's, okay. That's I will sweet. put it away. Um, but no, there are there are deities of, of handicrafts and there you go. spinning and knitting and all the rest of it. Minerva is actually one. I was about to say Athena's the, the goddess of weaving. Uh-huh. So it's weaving and not quite knitting, but Well, is that no, is that no, that's um um, no, I guess Arachne was the one who challenged her, and that's right. why she was and that, But that was still a weaving contest. It was a weaving. Yes, you're correct. Weaving. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yes. Okay, moving on. Oh, goodness. Um, we've gotten a lot of emails about the show that we did with Corey. <laughs> like- yes. Well, let's face it. Everybody loves Corey. Everybody loves Corey, and he was a great addition to the show, but he is not a permanent addition to the show. As much as we joked about it during that show, no. The logistics of getting the two of us two hours that we can sit down and just talk and not, you know, actually have time to do this. Um, yeah, having a third well, person, lately, not going mean, to happen. Just, life has just happened. It happened all over our faces. And it happened all of a sudden. Like, kapow, Life to, to really both of us. I mean, it just you know just well, it happened life to was me happening. First. Life was happening to you first, and then life happened to me. Yeah, and now life is just happening to both of us. Well, you know, okay, I sort of asked life to happen to me a while back, and then my request was fulfilled in a positive way, and so then you started asking for life to happen to you. Who did we ask, Velma? Uh, that would be Fortuna. Fortuna. Um, yeah, that would be Fortuna. We're going to talk about today. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, no, I kind, of, I kind of thought that's where you were going with that, but yes. okay. Fortuna is amazing. I Fortuna love Fortuna. Is glorious. Fortuna is glorious. Um, Velma, about a not quite a year ago, ten months or so, maybe. Well, shall I tell the whole story? Yeah, go, yeah tell the story. That's okay. where that's where I was going. Okay, so on the way to last year's Pagan Podkin Supermoot, as I was driving to. Salem, Massachusetts from Nebraska, which is about a two-day drive, in case you're curious. Um, Things having to do with Fortuna kept popping up. And I could go into lengthy detail, but it's not really super important. But things things kept happening. I kept hearing music that was written about her, and I kept seeing, I I saw a statue of her, and then I saw um, a little set of incense, candle, and oil that was for her. And Keep in mind, I've been going to metaphysical shops and poking around online and stuff for years, and I've never seen anything having to do with this deity. Nothing whatsoever. She has always been considered by the public at large to be very minor in the scale of deities that you need to be paying attention to. Mentioned, yes, sort of, you know, if you said the name, people might know who she was but never any merchandising this this deity has not had merchandising okay so i keep seeing all of this stuff and i think to myself okay somebody is trying to clobber me over the head 
And clearly this is, you know, in, in my interpretation, this is her way of trying to get my attention. So we're going to go with this. So I got a statue of Fortuna, which I was surprised to have seen on my trip and then came home and ordered one because I had missed the shop where I had, you know, seen it because I went, no, 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 there will be one of these in Salem. Guess what? There wasn't. I was shocked. Um, so I got home and I ordered the statue and I, and I got it and I set up this little altar and What's interesting to me, I can't read what you've just put in front of the screen. You're trying to write notes to me, and you're just distracting me, and I can't read it anyway. Um, and so I have never created a specific deity shrine before, okay? It's never... I've, I've just never done it. And this one came together remarkably fast, remarkably easily. And it quickly became like my favorite place in the whole house because there was something about it that, you know, me aesthetics are important. It was just gorgeous. It was a mess. It was piles of stuff and coins and candles and things. And, you know, and it was just, it was glorious. So I worked with her a little bit and I, and I asked her for some things, um, and that was, I, I actually started doing actual working around Halloween. And then in March, I got a new job. Then there's a long story that goes with the new job too. But regardless, I got a new job. And you're muted, so I can't hear you. <laughs> she really beat down your door with that new job. <laughs> What's that? I said she really beat down your door with that new job. She was like, no, she take this because... job. Well, see, what's okay, so... And, and I, okay, so I'll, I'll, so I'll tell the story. So on Halloween, I did a whole bunch of stuff as I normally do. And one of the things that I asked for was opportunity and I left it open, but I was in the back of my mind. See, this is a bad way to do spell work. Learn from my mistake. In the back of my mind, I was thinking of a specific opportunity, but I knew from past experience, well, if it's opportunity, then you don't want to be too specific because it may be something better that then doesn't happen because after all you were too specific and, you know, so, so leave it open. So I left it open. Okay. So this new position at my company became available, but it was not the one that I had been in the back of my mind thinking about. So I didn't apply for it. And a few months go by, and they can't find anybody <laughs> to fill this position. So they open it up again in, like, February. And I applied for it and pretty much immediately got it. I, I went through my interviews, bam, 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 bam. And I think there were, like, three or four interviews, and I think they were, like, one right after another, like, one each day for a week. And then by the end of the week, I had the job. And that was pretty, yeah, I was, I was pretty much beat over the head with that. Um, you know, and, and based on my success, <laughs> then other people who heard about this decided that they, but see the thing to keep in mind with Fortuna is that Mercury retrograde can apparently screw up a conversation. Sorry, witches, uh, but, uh, the episode that we recorded kind of got screwed up, so we have some chopped up bits for the last two couple of segments, so bear with us. Uh, it's going to be some crappy, crappy editing, which I know I promised I would never do again, uh, but oh well. 
um, on to more conversations about Fortuna. The one thing that I've liked about Fortuna is that um, she's not a goddess in the sense of the traditional sense that we think of goddesses. You know, like, she's not like an Aphrodite. She's not, you know, there aren't a lot of myths about her. She's not been sort of a character in mythological fiction in a, in a way, so to speak. Um, but, uh, you know, she's more of the personification of a thing. Um, yeah. Luck and fortune and that kind of thing. And uh, I think that's been why I have taken to her so well. Because that mm-hmm. works for me a little bit better. You know, it makes a little bit more sense in my head. <laughs> Well, and I don't know. I'm starting to think that <coughs> really, I just need to stick with the stick with Roman. Why, stick with why Roman, Roman? Stick with Roman deities. Well, Minerva is Roman. Fortuna is Roman. Um, I, there have been a couple of other Roman deities that have sort of popped up in my head, but have not actually said damn it yet um but i don't know for some reason every time with the exception of bast and i don't really work with bast at all but i have a little bast statue um and that's fine but like i don't know i don't think the romans and the hindus like each other i don't think they like each other (laughs) I, i don't i just you know i don't because yeah no i've i've tried to have lakshmi i've tried to have ganesh there is a kuan yin that's been there forever, but it's not really, I don't really do anything. You don't have to write notes. <laughs> oh, okay. I was unaware of that. Okay. <laughs> um, but no, I don't, I don't know. I don't, uh, the whole thing about how do different pantheons get, get along with each other. I don't know. I think I need to stick to just Roman deities because they have enough issues in and amongst themselves. They have their own little soap opera. And I think if I try to start pulling in like Days of Our Lives or All My Children, it's just going to become a big old mess. So I need to stick with whatever soap opera I'm involved in. The thing is that, um, you know, I've talked about my ideas of deity and, you know, God do and, and, you know, sort of panentheism or or something like that, Um, you know, but... And, and there's a part of me, you know, for the most part that just knows, you know, oh, well, they're all just sort of God dough and it all sort of works and meshes together and divides apart and blah, blah, blah. And yet there's just still something that, you know, sends sh- shivers up my spine or just sort of, you know, brings the hackles out when somebody's like, you know, I've got Ganesh on my altar and Odin on my altar and Athena and Fox and, you know, it's just it's just like... <laughs> The mismatch of all of them. And there's just something about it that's just like, no, stop. No, stop it. Well, I don't, and and I don't know. I mean, I have known people who have worked with, you know, this deity from over here and that deity from over there. And it all seems to be just fine. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe. Maybe it's just because from growing up and reading all of the myths and stuff like that, you know, as... I don't know, sort of my pre-comic book comic books. I was, I always grew up, you know, my father was really into mythology, which is really odd because he's very, very, very conservative Christian. But, um, you know, it's, it, I don't know, maybe it's just always like, no, that's not the way the game is played. No, <laughs> those are not well, the rules okay, to Monopoly. But see, <laughs> but see okay, so, th- but think about it from a mythological standpoint. We know how this set of deities 
interact with each other, what their relationship is to each other. We know their stories, okay? Let's just say for the sake of argument, that is the Greeks, okay? We know Greek myths. We know how, you know, Zeus and Hera's relationship was. We know, you know, the trouble that was caused by, you know, this deity or that deity. We know how they interrelate. We can have the same information about, let's say, the Hindu deities, right? There's my understanding there's hundreds and hundreds of them and they're just all over the place and they all have these these interrelationships with each other mm-hmm. okay but how does lakshmi interact with aphrodite we have no concept of right. how that would work right. because they are two completely different groups that never interact in mythology so trying to put them together can be difficult because we don't we don't have a sense of how that would happen. I mean that's why I said maybe the Romans and the Hindus just don't get along. I don't know. I have no basis for saying that, but I also have no basis for not saying it because there is no that there's no literature or no mythology to say here's what happened when the Romans met the Hindus. Did they all get along? Did they have dinner together? Or did they start a war? Well, I don't I think know. that comes from learning the history of various cultures and learning, you know, world history and things like that. I mean, not that I've ever really heard. Okay, maybe if you did, oh God, I don't know, marry on the same altar as Fortuna, so to speak. I mean, so that's, that's a, a Christian deity, um, you know... And and uh, and their lineage, Christian lineage, is really—you uh, could almost call it Jewish lineage. I mean, it, it's all from the same people, the same time period, the same ancient Hebrews. Um, you know, the God of Abraham, that kind of thing, the God of Israel. But then you're sticking it with a Roman deity on the same altar, and the Romans and the Jews—they were not so much the friends. And well, I, I don't know. Maybe that's be, it, possibly I mean, where would you, you could. Would inform. you have? Would you have Venus and Aphrodite on the same altar? Uh, I mean, I think that's redundant. So no, um, I get what you're saying, but, I mean, I get, but it's not because they're not they're not actually exactly the same. No, I get that they're not exactly the same, but but I get I mean I get where you're going as far as as you know the Greeks and Romans. the one deity or if you're gonna have uh you know aphrodite in your bedroom then don't put any other deities in there just just let her have her space your mic cut out i got none of that oh of course okay. <laughs> <laughs> i could tell you were saying something funny or at least you thought it was funny but i couldn't hear it so i always think it's very funny no i was saying one deity per room one deity per space possibly. i don't know i put lakshmi in a totally different room and it was so uncomfortable i had to get I, I had to get rid of her. I gave, I gave her to a friend of mine who already has a connection to Hindu deities and had been looking for a Lakshmi. And I went, okay, that's why I bought it was to give it to you. And, you know, it could go back to what, uh, you know, you were saying earlier of, you know, 
God, if, if you say that all uh, gods of love are, are this kind of energy and all gods of finance are this kind of energy and gods of the hunt are this kinds of energy or something like that, maybe the energy of Velma just doesn't jive with the energy of Lakshmi. I mean, maybe it was just, maybe, you, you know, if you're talking about, well, we're all, we're all just stardust. <laughs> when, when you get down to, we're all just energy, uh, you know, the very woo-woo new agey concept of, of everything is just energy. Maybe it's just, you just didn't jive because. Well, no, I, I liked her. I adored the statue of her. I have liked her in the past. I, you know. It just. Then why did you kick her to the curb? That is not nice. Because she could not be in my house. My, the space in my house had already been claimed by someone else, and it was. It's kind of like well, I maybe have your work two with cats. Fortuna just isn't no, no, done. No, no, I have two cats. <laughs> Let's go back to the, to when I had the last set of two cats that I had years ago Crazy when family. I had Church and Fermata. I thought to myself, it would be great to have a third cat because having three cats would be great. So I tried to get a cat. I got another kitten. That kitten lasted about, mm, I don't know, 14 hours in my house. And it had to go because it was just not acceptable to the other two at all. There was nothing about it that was acceptable whatsoever. It was the same kind of feeling. <laughs> this the Lakshmi had to go because Fortuna's not going anywhere be in place at the same time. <laughs> so yeah, we're not having that. Well, you know, uh, maybe it's just that uh, like what I was saying, maybe your work with Fortuna just isn't done. Maybe it's she she's not done. I don't know. I well, and I don't I don't know that I necessarily expect it ever to be. Well, I, I don't know. It, it's like uh, having a semester in school. I mean, you're really, really focused on a topic. It doesn't mean that you're not ever going to learn more about that topic later on. But right now, this is your main focus. And maybe right now is your main focus with Fortuna. And well, but then how do people have patron deities? I don't know how I mean, people have there, patron deities. <laughs> I mean, there, there has to be sort of a... people are crazy. No, but there has to be sort of a, you know, a long-term connection to a specific deity to to have a, a matron or a patron deity. And maybe it's just something that you just can't explain away and say, well, you know, you can have a patron and you can't ever have anything else. And then some people say, well, you can have a patron and you can invite other people to the party sometimes. And for some people it works and some people it doesn't. And I, I don't know. Like I said, Mercury Retrograde, yeehaw. <laughs> um, so that will uh, end the part of the show in which we talked about Fortuna. Then, all of a sudden, poof, uh, Sophia stopped by um, and uh, chatted with us over Skype. Unfortunately, the first couple of minutes of that particular conversation got cut off. Now, Sophia from Divine Community joins us to talk about what she finds difficult as a baby pagan. Obviously, don't look um, what Firelight might call pagan enough. <laughs> There's, um, and I've, I've seen it quite a lot in the, the British pagan community. I don't know how, how bad it actually is in the American community, but the idea that you have to dress a certain way and not have a shower very often and those kinds of things. And really, that's the extreme. But um, 
But sometimes you get those looks of you're wearing an outfit that you clearly bought in a, a shop rather than found on the side of the road. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of the sense of do you fit in, um, which I, I think is such a distraction. That, but but yeah, people at the same time have to identify their tribe. So I see where that comes from. Um, what else? Oh, I come from... Um, the, the the side of Christianity that does a lot of theologizing and um, the kind of liberal thinky type. Um, I, I've done a lot of reading and studying in Christian theology and that was really where my spirituality was in Christianity. It was in figuring out the intellectual side of things. And I then got involved in the pagan community and found that people don't want to talk about that. And and that's fine, you know, if they don't want to talk about whether they're a, a hard or soft polytheist, then no, no problem for me. But um, But then I find that I feel a little discouraged from having those kinds of conversations and, and the things that really interest me and um, get me thinking spiritually. So, so yeah, sometimes I think there's a, not quite as much intellectual engagement as I was used to. But then if I think about Christianity as a, a whole thing, then that's, that's a very tiny part of it, which only a few people are interested in. So it's probably much the same in paganism, really. It's just about finding people who, um, who you can work with on that level. Yeah, it's been so long since I've been new to this path. What <laughs> it's, al- it's always interesting to talk to somebody who is, you know, just starting out. Um, what is the what what's the thing that has most excited you that has that has been the thing that you just go home and you just can't wait to talk about it. And you're just it's it just completely absorbs your mind because it's so new and different and exciting to you polytheism it's utterly awesome that there are all these gods and they're all different it's just like after having been a monotheist for so long and and everything that comes with that you know the philosophy that can come with monotheism can be very kind of one thing so you're all meant to be the same and not an awful lot of diversity and i think with there being a lot of gods and a lot of paths and a lot of ways of expressing yourself um, the amount of choice spiritually is just incredible so um, the fact that um, my droid group when we meet can talk about a concept without killing each other and find that we all have completely different views of it and there's so much we can learn from each other about one small concept. It's just absolutely amazing. Whereas in Christianity, I was getting a little bit stifled with, you can think a lot about this, but really you should come to this conclusion. So, yeah. Now, did you ever... Um, Sophia, oh, sorry. Um, did anyway. you ever, uh, once you sort of found the polytheism, did you ever go back and uh, look at your Christian path and think, oh, wow, there really was a little bit more than just monotheism there. Or do you still think? Oh, totally. The- yeah. yeah. Um, this came up in Divine Community, which um, you, you'll all have to go and listen to um, as we were just recording. Um, I realized that, and I, actually, I think I realized this long before I was a pagan, that um, I was worshipping Mary like a goddess, um, which um, I was involved in Gnosticism. And some Gnostics do pick goddesses and um and think about different members of the Trinity as, as different gods and so on. But um, it was a bit of a shock for me because I was originally from a really conservative Christian background and then got really into the Marian stuff and thought, this is great because it's, it's pretty much sanctioned um, over in that other side of Christianity. And um, then found that I was thinking of her as something quite separate to, to God in the sort of Yahweh sense. So, um, yeah, I, I think... Um, yeah, to to be able to come so comfortably over to something like polytheism, I think I would have to have already have thought about it a bit, but you don't always let yourself think too much about how much you did. <laughs> <laughs> what really ends up making my head hurt about polytheism 
is, okay, so you have Hindu gods, you have Egyptian gods, you have Celtic gods, you have but Roman gods, but do they all exist in the same place? Do they all get along? If you have, because, and I, part of what has brought this to top of mind again for me is that on my recent trip to California, I found a beautiful statue of Lakshmi. I already have a statue of Fortuna in my, in my house and I have worked with her and I, and she and I have a little thing, but I found this statue of Lakshmi who in Hinduism is not the same, but they do a lot of the same types of things. And I, I have given the statue of Lakshmi away. I I couldn't have it in my house. There was, it, it just, it didn't work. They did not, correspond well with they didn't work together at all and it's it it kind of makes your head hurt when you start trying to think okay well if you have a connection to a deity in one specific pantheon what happens if you then develop a connection with a different deity in a different pantheon how how do they get along how does that work and then you start thinking about it from the perspective of you know, trying to sort of be outside of the world and and sort of looking down on the gods and seeing how they're laid out. Well, do they all get together? Is it, it, how does the? Yeah, it makes your head hurt after a while. They how have does divine it, Thanksgiving? And they <laughs> but, all come together. But I mean, do they? You know, or there's there's another school of thought that's well, you know, all of the love goddesses are the same general energy. Well, okay, but if that's true. And then all of the, you know, fortune deities are the same energy, then it should be okay to have Fortuna and Lakshmi in the same house, because they're different forms of the same energy. And they're, if they're the same energy that, yeah, no, that didn't work. This is part of why I love studying sociology of religions, um, as well as doing Me the too. spiritual thing myself. <laughs> because on the one hand, I can engage my rational brain and go, yes, there were these tribes and they had some contact and one of them borrowed someone's god or um, they developed an idea of a god that um, across the world someone else developed a similar idea. And it's basically all the same. And then there's another part of me that is the more spiritual part that is much more polytheistic and much more the gods are individuals that goes, shut up, that's rubbish. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I quite like having these things in tension and the paradox of it, because I think if you ever reduce the divine to, to anything that wasn't paradox, then you'd be, yeah, um, wrong. Because so, it's all going to be too complicated anyway. So you know, it's kind of, of fun to see things from both perspectives and think about it from two different ways. A, a lot of people have criticized me in my show for say, you know, f- for being on the verge of atheism or agnosticism or something <laughs> like that, just because of how much I question things. Um, but, you know, and one of my big responses is always, but one of the things is the mystery. It's the magic. And at the end of the day, no matter how much I doubt, no matter how much I question, it's just a more enjoyable life experience for me to have the mystery and for me to involve myself in that mystery and for me to believe that whether or not I'm ever going to get any answers is not the point. The point is asking the questions and enjoying the hell out of the ride and out of the journey. Yeah, totally. And the things you can discover about what you believe that you didn't realize you believed or an idea you can come across that enhances your your spiritual practice or your connection with that mystery, it can just be fantastic. So, yes, question. (laughs) But at the same time, don't discredit what has been proven. No, don't discredit that. Because you could say, okay, well, you know, scientifically we know why the sun comes up, but no, 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 I'm going to live in the world where the sun only comes up if I sacrifice a rabbit. Because after all, 
that is what I believe in my heart of hearts. That is one unlucky rabbit. That is one <laughs> yes. very unlucky rabbit. But, you know, we, we well, have to also... So, Sophia, one of the things that we talked about in the, in the episode that you're involved in, um, the science show, uh, was sort of the idea, and a lot of the scientists were saying that, um, no, the, the scientific proof and the spiritual uh, aspects of my life, they go hand in hand because, yeah. you know, I'm an, I believe in an earth-centered spirituality. And so, you know, knowing the truth about the sun and knowing the truth about where earthquakes come from and all of that, it just enhances my spirituality because it is an earth-based spirituality. At the end of the day, we're all worshiping dirt and we're all worshiping air and we're all worshiping the sun and the moon and things like that. These are physical entities and bodies. And some of the things that the scientists were saying is that the physical understanding of it only enhances my spiritual understanding of it. And I love that we are getting to an age and we are getting such smart people in the community where we can intelligently make some of those, those leaps and say, you know, and marry the two because for a long time. And one of the questions that Velma and I uh, answered um, for the upcoming pagan podkin book um, was, you know, where do you think, uh, what do you think about, um, you know, where does science end and faith begin or, or something like that? I don't remember the exact question, but it's basically, you know, how does one marry the two or are they, you know, diametrically opposed kinds of things? And I really liked hearing from, you know, a, a science, sciencey pagan uh, selection of people saying that, oh, no, I marry them because to me they are the same. Yeah, it's it's like looking at, um, at the same thing from different perspectives and... Um... Yeah, like like the sun going through a crystal from different facets. It's um, it, yeah, it's 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 all enhances things. But um, but I think Velma that you could you could almost say that yes, you do know that the sun comes up because the sun comes up scientifically because of the rotation of the Earth and so on. But that you're still going to say the prayer in the morning at dawn that brings the sun. And I kind of like that you can have both. I think that as long as you're sensible about it and understand that technically my prayer doesn't make the sun come up, it's still really exciting to think that you're sharing in something that's been done by human beings for such a long time. Well, Yes, you are also crediting whoever's doing it with sense, which I think may or may not be (laughs) applicable, but we we can ignore that. (laughs) That that for me is one of the great joys that like you were talking about the sociology of religion. Sometimes things don't make a whole lot of sense to me. And one of the things that Velma and I talk about quite frequently um, about eight times a year (laughs) are the Sabbaths. And how, uh, you know, some of them just don't make sense. You know, some of them Mm -hmm. I like, some of them she likes, uh, you know, and we don't always like the same ones. Um, But I think it's safe to say that we're not big fans of all eight. (laughs) I think that. Well, and I think that, but I think the thing to to understand is where they came from. Right. Because at the the time and and in the culture that they came from, they made sense. That was, it, it was perfectly logical to celebrate those specific things at those eight times of year. But you know what? We don't, we're not living 1500 years ago 2000 years ago in ireland so why are we celebrating 2000 year old irish holidays in the midwest of north of um north america in 2012 and one of the (laughs) things that that really excites me when i involve myself in a in a sabbat ritual or something like that is even if you know i wasn't able to get together with friends or i wasn't able to go down to my little local metaphysical shop or something like that and be with other pagans it's the idea that somewhere on a deep guttural level 
I am still in some way connecting with people all over the world that are celebrating these things and that just that I am joining a greater celebration, um, whether or not, and and honestly give, send me the hate mail. That's fine. Um, but whether or not I put personal stock in the reality of that celebration or the reality of, you know, the need for this spiritual activity, you know, like you were saying, the sacrificing the rabbit so the sun comes up, whether or not I personal personally put stock in it, um, as far as the reality of it, that, that, you know, I need to do this so that, uh, you know, that I need to do X so that Y will happen, um, you know, uh, honestly falls by the wayside for me. It's, it's more about the being part of the community sometimes in some aspects, uh, for, for various rituals and Sabbaths and things like that. And that's why a lot of my practice I still do, um, you know, whether or not it, it means something to me as far as my connection with the divine, it's more about my connection with others, which I think is also a way to connect to the divine. Because, you know, if you start thinking of the divine is in all of us, the divine is in humanity and things like that. Um, you know, and if you, if you look at what we were talking about earlier, the divine being in the physical world, connecting with humanity, connecting with that greater community can be a way of worship. See, and, and I find that... that Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, you see that kind of um, thinking in um, other religions. I mean, uh, Ramadan's coming up for Islam, and um, a lot of the the Muslims that I know are talking about community in a way that makes it very sacred and part of the sacred experience. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of religions do that kind of. We're doing things as a community to connect with the divine. And I think it's really cool. Your wife uh, actually said on your show that there are some things she that did. she does. Uh, she's what is she? An atheist Jew? She's an atheist Jew. <laughs> Which took me like the first five years I was with her to understand. <laughs> and but, uh, um, but, yeah, but she, she she does some of those those aspects because they connect her to her uh, to the community, not necessarily to the divine. Yeah, I mean, she celebrates a lot of the the festivals, and she even used to fast on the fast days. She stopped because she gets migraines, and it was a bad idea. But. Um, <laughs> But yeah, even something that, you know, you're supposed to fast, I, be- I believe on some of these festivals, it's to remember your sins. And she doesn't really believe she has any sins. Um, although I do occasionally once a year get her apologizing for anything she might have done. She kind of says, anything I've done wrong this year, I apologize to you. Like, I, I don't know. What have you done wrong? Velma, can I do so, that with you? Can I just say I'm sorry for anything I'm going to do in 2012? It seems to that? cover everything. No, 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 no. <laughs> I need an apology every single time. Luckily, I have unlimited texting. (laughs) But no, I I find that interesting because that is so not how my brain is wired. I if I am going to some kind of group event, like, for example, my coven celebrates all eight all eight Sabbaths. And so there is when I go to, you know, a a Sabbath ritual for, for example, uh, Lunasa, which I feel no connection to whatsoever. I am there and I am participating in the ritual because it is my little community's thing. But I wouldn't actually probably feel right about celebrating it on my own as an attempt to be part of the community because I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be, I would be doing it on my own. If I'm not getting anything out of it on my own, what's the point in doing it? I, I celebrate other things on my own that I have a connection to um, that other people may or may not have a connection to in order to further my own spiritual path. But I guess I just wouldn't see the value in being part of a community on my own. Like I, that, that for some reason in my brain, that doesn't, 
it won't compute. I, that doesn't make sense. You should but study sociology. Kind of the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's kind of the paradox of paganism because it's it, a lot of our paths are really individual. Um, but yeah. There's there's some kind of thing binding people together enough to call themselves by the same term. Well, and that's or that's something that do more I than that sometimes. Get, that's something that I always get very confused um, about as well. And I think Sophia and I get confused about it from the same sort of academic perspective. <laughs> it is a community of people that uphold the idea of a solitary path for the most <laughs> part. <laughs> and it's 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 not quite diametrically opposed, but there's there's definitely some cognitive dissonance in there of. We're a community of individuals, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a coming together of people that don't believe anything similar, you know, or, or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's just, it's, it is kind of makes your head start spinning a little bit uh, when you try to think about it too much. Well, it's kind of fun to do. It allows for a lot of diversity and flexibility. Absolutely. This was fun. This was <laughs> really fun. Cool to you guys. <laughs> Uh, Sophia, go ahead and pimp yourself out a little bit. Let the listen, Ooh, let the I? witches okay. know. Uh, how um, get, yeah, my get show, Divine Sophia. Community, um, I do it with the lovely Emma Doria Dana, um, who's currently off editing the current one. Um, yeah, we're across the pond. She's in America. I'm here. Um, we've got a website at um, divinecommunity.wordpress.com, which is just a blog, but if you follow it, it tells you when we put a show up. And uh, yeah, come and listen. Woohoo. Yay. And they can tweet you <laughs> Sophia Candle, is that right? Sophia Candle, all one word, yeah. Yes. I love I love tweeting Sophia. So uh Sophia and I and, and Corey will get into some pretty fun and interesting discussions on Twitter. That's cool. uh it's always they're, it's always they're a fun good time. to watch. I don't generally participate, but I, I almost always watch. <laughs> it's, it's fun. <laughs> It is, Twitter's it is weird like times. that. You can you can do a whole voyeuristic <laughs> thing on Twitter and observe people who never know you knew them. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Sophia, for being a part of it. And thank you, witches, for being a part of uh, the 23rd episode of Inciting a Brouhaha. I am uh, uh, so glad that you've stuck around. Um, we took a little bit of a break from doing this show as well. So thanks so much for sticking around. Um, if you would like to email us, uh, if you'd like uh, feedback on this show or anything that we've said, um, the email address is incitingabrouhaha at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tweet us, uh, the twitter.com slash incitingariot. I am at incitingariot. And I am at witchesbrouhaha. And it has been so much fun being with you all. Thanks so much, Sophia, for letting us Skype bomb you. Thank you. It's been fun. All right, and I just well- finished my scarf. and with that witches we will say (laughs) later witches bye